0: In this journey, we've had the Lord show up and do a number of amazing things. One of the prominent things that we've seen in these years is the healing of people's bodies, the deliverance, deliverances from torment, restoration of families, all those kinds of things have been uh, so extraordinary, so amazing. Occasionally we have unusual things happen that we I I don't take a service for. I, I just don't. I'll make reference, and then I leave it alone. And that's typically my response to the signs that make you wonder. The feathers started disappearing and falling in meetings. And then they started falling in our homes and in restaurants and things like that, just unusual. They want something supernatural bad, so bad, they start imagining things. And I understand that problem will probably always be with us. But that is no reason to discount what he does do. And uh, we've had gold dust appear in people's hands for years. We, I don't ever talk about it, but frequently during worship, we actually had it today. Benny and I both saw gold will start falling during worship. You, you can't invite God into the house and not have something outside of your box happen. He's, he's just slightly bigger than our understanding. So we have these things happen. They happen with regularity. Uh, Sometimes are things that we go honestly for maybe years even without understanding what in the world happened and why. But it happened at such a key moment, there's no way to question that it was the Lord. And at the end, they had a fire tower, start ministering to people, and this glory cloud just came and just started hovering somewhere over the platform. I'm not sure where that one was, but there's this cloud. It was. Called, it's hard to explain. It looks like smoke, looks like dust, and when you get close, it's like gold. It's shiny. It's like little flakes, teeny, weeny little flakes, and they're just swirling. And the same thing happened again. I know that that night it was over in that corner. It's it's like gold flakes, and they all went up. They happened over in that corner. But as we were walking around the stage here.
1: Hello and welcome to Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 56. I'm your host Brian Heineser. This episode is an interview that we did with Jason Testerman. Jason Testerman has investigated Bethel Church. He also does a project called Into the Churches where atheists and theists get together to share ideas. I was joined for this interview by Ian Mac and Kimberly. Hey Jason, going to actually introduce yourself, tell us a little yeah. bit about what you do.
2: Yeah, it makes it sure. know who the hell you are. Yeah, please.
3: <laughs> yeah, so my name is Jason Testerman. I was a Christian for about 25 years, and I was a worship leader and teacher at the church, missionary to India, and a part of a big family, the oldest of 12 kids. And uh, so my family uh, was very much connected to a lot of the faith healing movement in the past and currently even now. They really got excited about this Bethel movement, and as I came out of my Christianity and became atheist, um, obviously I became more and more concerned about uh, what it was spreading. And Bethel Church is in Redding, California. They have thousands of members. They have a school of supernatural ministry, which draws thousands and thousands from around the globe. And you know, basically, they say that God is moving here on Earth. Right. Um, it's hauling in millions and millions of dollars every year. It has a healing ministry that employs hundreds of people. They claim thousands of miracles. Um, their worship team has sold like chart-topping albums and and um, all around the country in the Chris- Christian music scene. Um, they have a TV streaming outlet that serves thousands of homes. And anyway, so it's it's a pretty big organization. It's becoming a phenomenon within the Christian movement that's really influencing millions of people. So my my own family is uh some of those people including my wife and my my parents and my siblings. They really have just been putting the pressure on me ever since I was an atheist to go and visit this church.
1: Well, yes, let, let's stop you right there. So Yeah. You you were pretty well indoctrinated as a kid then.
3: Yes, I was, for sure.
1: And what what was your key how what what I guess, convinced that there's, you know, that, that this stuff wasn't real?
3: Uh, one of the things is I always had a passion for um, apologetics, which is just the defense of the faith. And so I spent a lot of time studying and trying to give answers to people that would come to me within Christianity. And I became more and more dissatisfied with the answers that I was giving people. I honestly was feeling guilty about trying to defend the God of the Old Testament, you know, just genocide and slavery and all these horrible things in the Bible. And I just felt more and more like, you know, I've got to find the answers for myself and, and find out if they really have something behind them because I'm giving people all these surface answers that are not satisfying me. That um, really was the catalyst for me to, um, to start digging deeper. And just, it, it became like a, it just started unraveling. Mm-hmm. You know, I started really asking all the big names and apologetics. You know, Josh McDowell, Ravi Zacharias, uh, William Lane Craig. Uh, once I started contacting these people and getting their answers, I just found out, wow, this is a house of cards.
1: Right. Kind and, of, I, I don't know, particularly William Lane Craig, who is an excellent debater, but to me his answers are kind of hollow and it's always the same kind of thing
3: oh for sure yeah absolutely yeah when you when you look at what he's what he advocates and and uh, the answers he gives, he just uses mental gymnastics like I've seen no one else I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When it comes to trying to just twist words and and um, put together something that sounds cohesive but it's not.
1: Okay. So so you kind of break out of that and your family's still really involved with it and so n- now we can go back to Bethel Church. Yeah. Which so now my, what I what I found um online the uh, the pastor is um. Uh, a very charismatic guy, I would say mm-hmm. um I, I don't what i I don't know what his name was
3: uh Bill Johnson Bill
1: Johnson, yes, and he not only was talking about like you, well I mean I guess we'll get into the glory class, but he's also talking about feathers appearing and all sorts of other um all well I guess kind of biblical things
3: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so uh, I, so did he start this church?
3: no, actually, he took uh, took it over, I think about he and his father. Uh, Bill Johnson is, is in a long line of preachers, I think maybe even back five generations, but his father was the pastor before him. They used to live actually in another town just outside of Reading, it escapes me, but anyway, then they moved into Reading and kind of took over the church that was there. And it was a it was an Assemblies of God church, and then they cut off from that affiliation because they started getting more radical, and uh, then even the Assemblies of God, which is, wow. which is pretty radical. And so anyway, yeah.
1: Were they always faith healers? I
3: mean, well, they would never, they wouldn't call themselves. See, there's there's a bad stigma that that goes with the name and the label of faith healers. And so, um, a lot of the current, you know, prophets and healers today, uh, like to pull away from those, those types of terms. So they wouldn't even use them. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically the the mentality they have. They're, a big part of their ministry is their healing ministry. Okay. And, yeah, so what they try to do is just draw in people, and that's you know, I can get into that. um you know, kind of let me know what direction you want to go with it well,
2: but, I, just, um, I
1: i I kind of just want to set up the foundation of the church as much as possible I, they, they do make some claims, you know, about God's healings, I guess mm-hmm. you know um uh, in particular, there was a uh, a baby in a hospital that had a hole in hole in his heart that you know, they say that they prayed over and that you know healed the hole in this baby's heart or jesus did or god did after their prayers right, right um the other thing is uh i pastor i you know talking about uh, feathers appearing while he's out at dinner and stuff like this and he was connecting that back to the glory clouds what is he eating for yeah. dinner well i don't know that has feathers so, so i guess so we've said what, i mean they, they are faith healers i mean there's no other real word for
3: it is there right Even no, though I, they would. I would definitely put them in that category absolutely absolutely so, and I
1: so I guess you know so they're they're doing the faith healings, um they have things appearing such as clouds of glitter and and feathers
3: right, right,
1: so I mean, yeah, the feathers i mean uh, i mean I guess one feather could come from anywhere, but what is wow. a glory cloud
3: yeah, so the glory cloud um when i what I did is I went to Bethel for ten days, I just immersed myself in the environment, completely, you know, just interviewed many of those who claim healing and and went to every single service and and talked to all the senior pastors and most of them you know went to the healing rooms got people prayed over got prophesied over so the the glory cloud was that one of the experiences i had the very first night i showed up um it was a friday night service and i i was familiar with the the glory cloud concept and i knew that it happens usually about every 2 weeks and they say that it's, it's this glory glitter from God. It's the presence of God that's just kind of floating around the air and you can collect it on your hands and everything. And so I was, I wasn't sure if I would get to have the experience, but I was kind of hoping that I would obviously when I got there. And so, the night that I showed up, they had their worship service, and then the uh, preachers stood up and started to talk. Then, all of a sudden, I started looking around the room, and people are holding up their iPhones, and they're pointing it up up into the rafters above the sanctuary. All of a sudden, the pastor's like, the glory cloud, it's here! And he's really excited, and he starts just um, changing his sermon completely to uh, adapt to this uh, glory cloud uh, message. And... um, and so I, was, I sure up, there was glitter floating around in the air. It was only in this one side of the sanctuary. It was only on the right hand side of the sanctuary up front. and you could see it just kind of floating around there in the air. And so I, I was um, intrigued, obviously. and so after the sermon when everything was down and, and you know the, glo- the glitter was kind of floating around, I go up there and, and people are wiping it up with their hands and they're, and they're uh, taking pictures of it and everything and then all of a sudden it just dawned on me i just it just all clicked and i realized what was happening and it just seemed like no one else had noticed but jesus came down
1: what, what, and what, said hello
3: yeah it was god it, it was absolutely just jesus christ showed up so um, what else could i say <laughs> <laughs> Glitter.
1: and he brought glitter
4: well
3: interview brought glitter. Uh, did he stop yeah. in the 1970s <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't trying to, uh, to you know, help the starving children in Africa, but it was, it, you know, but he definitely had the priorities right. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. So, so what happened was is that during the worship service, there is these people that stand up front, and they paint pictures on these huge canvases. And as they're painting, they're doing it prophetically, and it's giving people, you know, they're painting in the spirit, they call it. So this one lady, she was taking this bottle of glitter, Literally, just a bottle of, of glitter, full little tiny particles, and she was flinging it at the painting, covering the whole entire painting in this glitter. And you could see it; it was just, it was going off of the painting. It was catching in the air. It was falling down underneath the painting on the stage. And I just realized I was like, "Wow, that's where it came from." Because here's the deal: in the sanctuary, um, there's these huge blinding lights up above and the up in the ceiling. And there's this constant draft because they have this big ventilation system. So it's the perfect environment for any tiny little particle to glisten. Even when I first showed up, it was dust. I could see the dust. It even almost looked like it was shiny. So you put a little bit of glitter in the air, and boom, you've got a glory cloud. It's not a cloud. It never was, not even not even (laughs) in the videos that they post themselves. It was never anything like that.
1: So you were able to recreate this pretty conclusively.
3: I was, absolutely, because I I went up there and I started wiping where people were wiping their hands and saying, oh, there's the glory of God as they're looking at the glitter on their hands. And I looked up and there's the painting literally with the same glitter right above where they're wiping their hands. (laughs) And they're picking it up and collecting it and putting it in their wallet. And I pointed it out. I was like, well, that looks like the same stuff. So I went up to the artist, the lady who had done the painting, and I asked her about it. And she actually showed me the bottle. She pulled it out. She says, here's the stuff. Here's the glitter. And I was, thank you so much. I took a picture. The next day, I went to Michael's and I bought my own bottle of Glory Glitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, I, why would they even? Why would they think that these were from God in the first place? What, what, what is is? It, what is the connection there that they've made?
3: Well, the connection is that they are so desperately looking for any kind of physical manifestation of God. You know, they have all these—the feeling in their heart, and they have all the sensations and everything, but they don't have anything that's real. And so they latch on to, you know, these little feathers or whatever. But basically, the feathers they find—they're like stuff that—that's in your pillow. You know, it's the down from people's jackets when they walk into church. So you know how? Okay, it's so yeah.
4: God's love manifests as goose down and Jesus's disco love from the seventies manifests as glitter.
3: Exactly. Okay. They cling on to this stuff. And quite honestly, they're looking for it so desperately. Like even when I pointed this out to the artist who was doing it herself, who was splashing the glitter on the painting, she didn't even, it just went right over her head. She had no idea even what I was talking about. They want it so bad that they're willing to believe it regardless of where the facts are taking them.
1: It's interesting because I, you know, I mean, a, a feather appearing or or something like this. I would never make that kind of connection. Oh, and, right. And I think that a lot of this is the pastor making the connection for them. Oh, for sure. I mean, does he know what, how the how the clouds are made?
3: I I wouldn't put it past him, but I don't think so. I think that they're all just willfully ignorant. And here's the deal: that they are connected to a lot of other these types of groups and organizations around the world. So they all kind of feed off of each other. And once one of them starts to see some glitter somewhere, then the other ones start to find feathers, you know. Yeah. And so they're all working off of each other and, and kind of creating and stimulating this, this frenzy. So I guess can
4: I, uh, can I insert something here? Yeah. I watched the Glory Clouds video on YouTube, yeah. and I have to say that using glitter in that seems actually rather wasteful because it looks an awful lot like dust in the sunbeam to me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, quite honestly, you know, like I said, when I first walked into the church and I was looking up, I saw just the dust glistening against the lights, and I thought, hey, that's almost it right there. But then when we put the extra glitter in the painting and later on when it started floating around, it was like, oh, obviously, you know. Right. And, and the thing about those videos on YouTube is that they're so zoomed in to, um, uh, to create the illusion of something, you're seeing something bigger than you are. Um, anyway, it's all just fabricated. It's, it's, uh, for the illusion.
1: Well, and we see this kind of stuff actually a lot. I mean, Saibaba had, has, had his ash. You yep. know, that, but, I mean, that was clearly a magic trick. I mean, he was caught, you know, so many times making that happen. So you had his ash handed to him? Yes, many times. <laughs> um. So I, I think that there is, Um, this has done a lot. I mean, this is not a unique thing, I don't think. Right. These kinds of manifestations.
2: Yeah.
3: It's the same, it's the exact same problem you see with the helix. Is that people go in there with a sore neck. They get in this excited frenzy because of the worship music and the repetition and everything. And it creates this environment where it's just pregnant with expectation. And so then, then the, you know, the placebo effect kicks in and they might get the soreness out of their neck a little bit. And they'll go home and next thing you know, you know, their neck was broken and, and God healed it yeah and so yeah they just they grasp onto every little tiny thing they can find and and proclaim it as this massive miracle.
1: Well, do you know who Bratso is
3: Brazzo yeah Bratso.
1: no you're supposed to drink when when we say that by the way um Braco is a is a is a gazer, and he is from Croatia. And he, I mean, here in the estates, he, he's traveling all over the United States. Um, it's about, it's eight bucks to go and see him. And he's a healer who doesn't claim to be a healer. Oh. And the way that the, the shtick works is, um, he has, I guess, a handler. Um, and she's a, she's an actress and she, um, she comes out and she primes the crowd. Um, w- when you first go in there, there's, there's, you know, music playing. It's, it's like hypnosis 101. They are creating a whole experience and she comes out and she talks, of, you know, talks about Brazzo and how fantastic he is and talks about the energy and, you know, and, and, and all the, all the kind of buzzwords that we hear these people using, you know, um, and energy is, of course, a big one. Um, and then Brazzo comes out stares at you for eight minutes and leaves <laughs> and people all over. I mean, the 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 healings that they that they claim, Kimberly, did you go to Brazo with me?
5: I went to the first one. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you have to understand that they're not just paying to see it once. They were selling all day tickets to these people, and they would once an hour go into a room, the exact same thing would happen, the whole staring, and the music, and the not saying anything, and the testimonials, and they'd clear the room, and then they'd fill it up again with some of the same exact people who who, like you say, they follow, they they travel with, and they follow them around the country. Yeah, well, and 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 a lot like what you're saying here, they'll take any small bit of what they would call evidence, but which you know we would never use that term for what they're claiming right. is evidence. Um, but they'll take any story, anything, and they'll they they just so desperately want to believe it.
3: Yeah, you know, actually, um, when I go into the healing rooms in Bethel, they give you this little card. It's a little pamphlet, and what it says on it, it says, um, "If you feel a reoccurrence of your old systems uh, <laughs> s- symptoms after you leave here, then you need to just ignore them and believe on faith that you've been healed." So basically, <laughs> basically, what they're saying is a disclaimer. When you walk out of here, you're not going to feel any better, but just keep believing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, process, okay. yeah process, so does no, this, this lead, lead victim, to a diminishing yeah. membership? I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead and say that again. Uh, does this lead to a diminishing
4: membership as you know people who've been faith healed feel the symptoms of their original malady and then you know die from them?
3: Well, that's that's the very interesting part is that um, Christians have a have a um, get out of jail free card for everything, you know, because if they die, then that was God's will to take them on to heaven, right? If they just get terribly sick then at least they didn't die, you know, and if they get a little bit better, then they're still, then God obviously healed them, and so they have, but they constantly, they believe, and this is one of the things, because Brian, the only, one of the reasons of going here wasn't just because I wanted to expose, which I did, but that I felt like that there was actual harm being done. It it does seem There's, like it.
1: You know, well, brazzo yeah. has his disclaimer, you know, basically, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he, you get a healing, right? But he doesn't claim to be a healer. And they tell people, you still need to go see your physician. The other thing that they prime you though, you know, the healing may not happen today. It may, you know, it may, it may take a couple of weeks, but look out it for it. It may not,
4: it may not happen to you. It may happen to the picture of somebody who's yeah. in your wallet. <sighs>
1: exactly. Well, he, he can heal, you know, anybody that you have a picture of on your phone that's turned off as well.
2: Well, actually, a recent thing that just happened in Colorado. we had that fire up here down south, And the two fatalities were an older couple that apparently called their church, said, "Oh, please make sure everyone prays for us." And instead of getting out of their house, you know they were packed and everything, but apparently they decided to put their you know it sounds to me at least like they put their fate in the hands of God right and but didn't take common sense precautions instead, but this you is
4: no there worse. is a there's an old joke about that. And I'm sure we've all heard it. You know, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a helicopter.
2: Yeah. Why didn't you get on those? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah but this one's this one's worse. Yeah. But no, it's a sad thing when they put you. You put so much faith in that, and you don't let the common sense. Like if they would have gotten out earlier, they probably would be alive today. But they decided, oh, you know, it, it's not too bad. Let's call a church, ask for prayers, and then we'll, you know, be ready just in case. But it was too late by then. Yeah. You know? But this but, is
1: worse because they're telling people if you have a reoccurrence they're they're not telling them go to your doctor. They're telling them you know to to keep believing. To just keep believing. That 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 that's and and right. I think this is the point that Jason's trying to get to here is that the harm from what they're doing is way outweighs um you know any healing that could possibly happen.
3: Right. Yeah. The, there's uh one of the main pastors there at Bethel. His name is Pastor Danny Silk, and he told me a story about a woman, a young woman who had three kids and she had cancer, and she was relying upon the faith, the prayer of faith, you know, and and these healing rooms and everything, and instead of getting treatment, and she died within just, you know, a couple months. And, And so there is a direct correlation to, you know, here's this woman believing on faith that she's going to be healed and refusing the treatment, refusing any kind of help and her family pays for it. She yeah, and her we,
2: family. We've talked about that sometimes in our past podcasts, is that kind of mentality. Well, it, because we see it with all
1: sorts of alternative medicine therapy stuff as well. Um, you know, whether it be homeopathy, um, natural paths, uh, you know, life vessel is, a, is another one that, you know, that we're concerned the same kind of things that are happening with them. Um, the, there's the, the John of God lights um you know that people are using for healing there's all sorts of these um healing modalities out there who that have not been shown to work and faith healing is one of them
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. there's
3: There was an older lady that came to Bethel. It was one of the saddest things to me because she brought her husband and he was mentally disturbed. He was mentally ill. She was so excited the first night she showed up and I could just see it in her face. She was going to get healed. He was going to get healed. And I saw her in the prayer rooms the next few days. And by the end of her trip, by the time she left, she was deflated. You could just see her face. I talked to her and it's like nothing had happened, and she took the blame on for herself because, and this is, they, they take the blame because they say it's not God's fault, it's my fault. I didn't have enough faith, and right, so there's these, other, people, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's they they're leaving Bethel, and if they didn't get healed, it's not Bethel's fault, it's not the healer's fault, it's their own fault because they didn't have enough faith. So these poor people are have all this weight on their shoulders because they're still sick or their loved one is still sick, and they have to deal with the fact that they didn't have enough faith. I talked to the leader of the healing rooms, and he even confirmed that with me. He said, yes, when you're not healed, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith.
1: Well, and that's pretty common. And, it, you know, Popoff, W.V. WB, WB Grant, um, Oral yeah. Roberts, Pat Robertson, it's typical with them. They don't, it's not their fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. You didn't believe.
3: Yeah.
5: Right. Or you didn't interpret something correctly, or, yeah, there's always this victim blaming mentality. And, and unfortunately, they're set up, it seems, to even appreciate that. You know, like, they don't just buy it, they're, they're primed for it. It goes down very easily.
1: So, I mean, this is something we've, we've talked about a lot. But, but now, I guess the, another interesting thing that you do, though, is that even in the face of all of these kinds of things, you spend a lot of time reaching out to churches. As an atheist.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I've um i started a program I call Into the Churches um, or an e- evening with an atheist. Quite honestly, I, I just kind of got tired of uh, preaching to the choir with us, you know, kind of not really connecting on a heart level one-on-one with Christians. Uh, because I was in that place at one point. And I know that I wish I would have had people around me that I could have gone to, um, that I knew I could trust. And so what I'm trying to do with this program is is go into the churches and just let them see us as atheists, that we're good, moral, normal people, and, um, and just let them have that opportunity. You know, give us a chance to plant some seeds and not try to convince them that they're wrong, but just plant some seeds and say, you know, have you ever thought about this? And, um, yeah.
1: And so you... You set up these groups with these pastors. Um, all, it looks like most of the churches that you've gone to are Protestant churches. Is that correct at this point?
3: Right, that's correct. You know, uh, A lot of it has to do with because that's my background. Um, okay. That's what I'm familiar with. Um, but I've also very specifically chosen churches that are more conservative in nature uh, because I feel like that's where the need is. That's where people have the most lack of understanding when it comes to atheism. And so I've specifically uh, pulled out those churches, and I contact the pastor and get one-on-one dialogue with him. You know, I'll go out to coffee or something and just connect with him face-to-face and say, Hey, we want to try to tear down some common misconceptions that we have about one another to open up some respectful dialogue. You know, we just want the opportunity to show you guys that we're good, moral people. We're not trying to deconvert you necessarily. So that's the approach that I have when I when I present it to the church. And I, yeah.
1: How well has that been re- has that been received?
3: It's it's very well received. When I sit down face to face with a pastor, I've actually been very surprised. They've all been very positive. Um, there's only a couple churches that have turned me down, but most of them been like, "Yeah, let's do this thing." And I think a lot of it has just to do with the type of approach that we have of just trying to not be too confrontational. You know, trying to steer away from debate mode and just open friendly dialogue between us. And so they've been very receptive to that. Now, if I try to email or make phone calls and do this over, you know, the phone lines, it doesn't work. It's got to be personal. Yeah. But, but I've had a lot of success and, and I think that I'm really excited about this program of going into the churches because I can just see the potential of connecting communities where we as atheists have an opportunity to speak to the actual people where the issue is, to go into the church, to go to the heart of the problem, and address it right there in a non-confrontational, friendly way where we can make heart connections with people. Instead of trying to convince them on the spot, we just say, you know, just give them some, plant some seeds of doubt in their mind. So, what
1: are I guess, what are some of the main reasons that you would want to do this?
3: Well... One of the main reasons is, is um, you know, just myself having come out of Christianity, I've seen people, how they look at me as an atheist now. You know, they put, a, they put a sticker on me. They put a label on me, and and some often categorize me in the same place as thieves and murderers, you know, whatever. No morals. So it's too well, – right, no morals, right.
2: You, you even said your wife is still a believer, right, and still fairly active with the church.
3: Right, right. So, so you have yeah, a
2: something there, I would guess. Yeah, that's,
3: um, there's, there's a couple different issues that come into play in this whole situation with, you know, what kind of drives me to do it. Because on one side of the spectrum, I have my family and many of my friends who have shunned me, who have literally, you know, cut off communication and, and things like this. And then on the other hand, I have my relationship with my wife that we have strove so hard to maintain, um, a connection even in the midst of our Extremely polarizing beliefs, and I can see how it's. I can encourage people that it's possible that it's possible for people of different beliefs to live together, to be able to communicate, um, to not you know fly off the handle and and go into debates all the time. So so I what it, my my goals here is for one to show the Christians that atheists are moral, regular, normal people um, that love our families and you know in our country. Then, on the other hand, to show that, you know, we can actually communicate with one another if we do it right. We can communicate. And once you are able to get in, and this is the third point, once you're able to get in and really connect with people and and show them that you're not trying to make them believe something, but you just want them to understand you, it opens them up in ways that, that you wouldn't even imagine. To for them to reconsider their own beliefs and and reevaluate uh, themselves. I think there's there's great potential in a lot of different ways.
1: But now, are you but, getting? I mean, you're not getting your average atheist or your average theist when you do these things. I mean, you're you're getting a kind of a select group, aren't you?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it depends. Each church is different. Like uh, the first church that I did was just a real small kind of intimate group where we just had a lot of discussion. Uh the next church we did down in Evergreen was a large group. We filled up the whole room. Um Eric Meir and myself and a couple other guys were on a panel and we had, you know, the, the congregation asking us questions and we'd respond. It was a very friendly interaction, very pleasant. Another one we did was a smaller group, again, but it was only with the leadership of the church because they wanted to kind of get a feel for what we were all about. The other one we did down in Golden that you were a part of, Brian, yeah. uh, was, you know, in my opinion, it was a little more um, edgy. There was a little more of the back and forth. There wasn't that many Christians that actually showed up. Wow. So <laughs> there so every, every experience has been very different and unique.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I guess I have a skewed view of this because of the one that I was at. There was, yeah. what? 12, 14 atheists, and 4 Christians?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was shocked. I um, I wasn't expecting that kind of environment or um, that kind of turnout because I'd actually talked to the pastor beforehand, and he told me that he was going to invite other pastors from different churches. And so I was looking at this as like, this is the start of um, a very larger kind of outreach um, into other churches. And so, you know, I I kind of just roll with it. And honestly, you know, um, I think each church probably has their own idea as well about what they're expecting. And since we're on their turf, since we're going into their churches, we have to respect, you know, their leadership and how they want to control it to some degree.
1: I, I would say that the people that showed up at ours in particular were very much in-the-pew Christians. They, I mean, the, these were, I mean... They were very much, I mean, they were, I would say, really, really strong in their faith Christians. These were not people that were likely to waffle at all.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and that's quite honestly, um, and I've talked to Pastor Lynn, who was the pastor of that church in, in Golden um, I told him, you know, even though I like these small, intimate groups with your leadership or your other pastors, what my goal is, is to get a larger group. I want to get a sampling from your entire congregation. Because who I want to reach is the average Christian who's sitting in the pew, you know, and I want to connect with them. I want to connect with the people that are uh, your everyday Christian. And so, um, you know, trying to get a bigger Open group is, is what I was shooting for right
1: but I mean having the group that we had it definitely made for some very interesting conversations oh yeah but like you say that they, they were edgy there could have been a debate at any moment in fact it oh. almost happened several times
3: right yeah and that's and that's just you know we this is a, a brand new program that we're starting up. I'm excited about it but it's also kind of learn as you go you know because the goal i i believe personally that when you sit down and discuss something with them the goal is not to convince them in the moment there's there's no way that we can convince one another sitting down face to face in an argument um it's usually what happens later even days later weeks later when they think back certain things are nagging them in the back of their minds And so my goal is to let those nag, those things that nag their minds, you know.
1: And, you know, it was uh, interesting when we got on to the discussion about morals and I talked about how, you know, I had morals and that I didn't and they didn't they didn't have to come from a book. And the response that I got from um, the gentleman who was the philosophy teacher was that he had never heard that argument before and that he never said that we didn't have morals. And so he and he, he he didn't understand that at all. But yet, isn't that a very common thing that we hear from most of these churches? How do you have morals if it, if, you know, if you don't believe in God, if you don't, you know, yes. read the Bible?
3: Right? And, yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing is that the problem is is that especially that gentleman that you were talking about, the philosophy teacher, he they're so good at at uh, twisting their words. And to almost sound like they don't mean what they're saying, because I I know absolutely, especially him, that he knew exactly what you're saying. He knew exactly um, he wasn't dumb. No. <laughs> and and so yeah, because but they'll they'll word it a little different and where they place the blame as far as you know our lack of morals, because they don't want to say we're immoral. They can't say that. Right. But it know? was interesting.
1: I I felt that gentleman was disingenuous. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I didn't feel that the pastor was disingenuous, but he wasn't as good a debater. You right. know, he didn't. He even having those conversations weren't really his thing. I don't think he. I think that he was much more into the sharing of ideas and information than yeah. than the philosophy teacher was. Um, the other two that were there didn't speak as much. But they, we, I heard an interesting thing from, from over there either, that they were much more interested in us having a relationship with God, at least he was, than following his rules.
3: Right. right. That's just right. rhetoric, though.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's, that's what I felt about it. So coming away from, from that particular, the, from that particular group, it's like, boy, if, if you're always talking to, to those Christians, you know, those ones that are not your average Christian, you know, um, right. how, how do you, how do you make a dent?
3: Well, I'm I'm a living testimony of that. Like I said, you know, when I was a Christian, you should have heard me. I I would I would get into heated arguments defending my faith. Um and I would not let on one the, no one would know if there was anything that I doubted or questioned. No one would have the slightest idea. I would be the only one that would knew it.
2: <laughs> and
3: so I I do, you know, even though I, I agree that there's less hope for those, I think there is some
1: and I don't even think that you know I I would not want to make them atheists that would, that would not be my goal yeah. but to even have them be more accepting of atheists yeah. I don't know that that they will come away from this with with even that piece.
3: Well, yeah, I, like I said, I I felt like the format and the feel of that night was a little different <laughs> and not quite exactly what I was intending. Okay. Um, uh, uh, some of the other churches that we've gone into. Because I've had to, I've had to be, learn to be very diplomatic with my approach when I confront Christians or when I talk about these issues. And so, um, you know, that was something that I kind of carried the ball with, with some of the other meetings. And, uh, the impression was a lot different because they understood. Because one of the things that's very important to me when we're talking with Christians is that we, first of all, Acknowledge any point that they make, anything that we can find. Try to acknowledge anything that we can that might be positive or where we can agree with them. And then to take them, and when we express what we're trying to confront them on, we don't express it and say, here's the problem with what you're reasoning. We say, here's the problem that I personally have that I can't get past. You know, I have an issue, I have a problem. You almost put it on yourself. You put the weight of the conflict on yourself and say, my conscience won't let me do this or my own, you know, I just can't get past this problem with your reasoning. And when you put it on yourself and you own it, um it changes the dynamics to where they're much more receiving of what you're saying. And um so that's that's much very important when it comes to this these types of dialogues and like i said if we can get a bigger congregation the larger group of people out there and not just these hand picked people by the pastor who like to argue <laughs> right you know then then it's a completely different feel
1: well it was interesting though I- the, oh i'm sorry go ahead kimberly
5: Oh, I just want to say, Jason, I, I totally agree with you. And, and Brian and I have had this conversation in the past and, and even just yesterday, the day before. Yesterday. Um I think he and I both come off very confrontational and, and are not doing any of the stuff you are talking about. Like we apparently, and I'll just speak for me, although I think Brian's experienced this too. <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter how I say it. If that I, I put it in the nicest way I know how and it still comes off confrontational and it I just seem to be perceived that way. Have you considered because I do think you know like you say the the population who showed up at that meeting you didn't hand pick us or anything like that. It was just volunteers and of the atheists and they had their own agenda. Have you thought about kind of training people yes. on how to do this? Because oh, yeah. I came away with it really recognizing how how poorly i'm expressing myself to a crowd like this and i I consider myself fairly articulate most of the time but i'm Mm. clearly not getting through to them
2: well yeah
1: the atheists there were all the way from the proselytizing unitarian to kimberly
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's obviously part of atheism is as our diversity you know that's part of the beauty of it but i think i think yes absolutely kimberly i i what I've already talked to is, you know, trying to talked about is trying to get a, a just a core group of people where we all are on the same page, the same type of communication. Um I think it helps a lot to have been a Christian beforehand and understand their rhetoric because you can you can say the things that that they understand and be careful not to trigger other things that will just turn them off. I think that, you know, finding a core group of people like that, you know, that are apt at that type of communication is vital, yeah.
4: I've got to throw in here, you said that you receive pretty good responses when you, uh, when you touch upon people one-to-one. I, I have mm-hmm. to ask, is it possible that the good responses that you're getting when you get people, you know, when you, when you set up the meetings, is it possible that what they're really wanting to do is not so much listen to you as maybe bring you back into the fold?
3: Oh, absolutely. I fully acknowledge that. And that's and that's part of the reason I'm able to even uh, do this is because, you know, I fully acknowledge that their goals are going to be to try to win me back. And, you know, let them, sure, let them have their best shot at it. I don't care.
1: <laughs> but they were very upfront about that. You know, yeah. I mean, when they introduced themselves, you know, they told us that they have a relationship with Jesus and they want you, all of you to have one too. They want everybody right. to have a relationship with Jesus. And they made it very clear that, um, that they were going to proselytize.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, but they see that as an honorable thing because they're trying to save you from, from hell. Right. And, and so, you know, that's, I, that's a small price for me, in my opinion, to pay to be able to get in and actually talk about atheism. Because, I mean, think about how many atheists get to actually speak in a church. Not very often. So, um, if they want to proselytize to me, um, I say, bring it on um as long as you let me get a few words in edgewise,
5: yeah, I
1: didn't have an issue with that, and i I had expected that, in fact, when Kimberly and I were were out at dinner before that, that was one of the things that we 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 figured that they would would happen as
3: proselytizing
1: Because how could it not? I mean it's part of their doctrine it's their job to bring to bring you back to Jesus,
3: right. Yeah, yeah, and let me just share briefly, um, one of the meetings that I really felt was very successful was in Evergreen, and <clears throat> I had uh, just a whole bunch of Christians come up to me afterwards and say, Thank you so much for, for coming and sharing with us. Uh, they, they thanked me over and over again about our approach, about our attitude, about um, our presentation. I I got a lot of compliments. Eric, Muir and us both. We got a lot of compliments about just our approach and how we came about it. I had this one older lady that came up to me and she said, she said, Jason, I mean, she had to be in her eighties. She said, my husband has been an atheist for forever, and she said, I never really understood him, and she said, but after tonight, after you guys shared, she says, I understand him now, and those that that type of stuff. Another guy comes up to me and he's like. Your guys' reasoning and the way you guys argued for what you believe, um, you guys... I, I, I have nothing to say. I, I think I'm going to convert over to your side. <laughs> I, 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 I was looking around. I hope the pastor didn't notice. You know, so, so I felt very happy about the approach. That we were able to present ourselves and having that older lady come up to me. It was like, this is what it's all about for me. No, honestly, I, you know? that,
1: that right there, the older lady just being able now, she understands her husband a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, that's huge because that's really the kind of what you're going for here is for people to go, come around going, okay, I, I – I don't agree with these atheists, but I yeah. understand a little bit better about where they're coming from. The people that we spoke to the other night, they already knew where we were coming from.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's why, you know, those, those smaller groups are okay, like I said. Um, I think there is a chance that some of them might be willing to think further later on after they're away from it. Uh, but the goal, obviously, is for the bigger groups and the bigger congregation.
1: Yeah, and certainly it was a lot of fun and I like a good debate. So yeah. I would have showed up for a debate, you know, anyway. Um, but right. I do think that your format is, is better in that it's just a sharing of ideas and that we don't want to get into a huge debate. It's just uh, to try and let people know where the other person is coming from. And right. I think that that's valuable, but I think it's more valuable in, you know, I think the larger group, I think you're right onto something there.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we got into, which I thought was a good topic, was when we were talking about legislation yeah. and how the effect of legislation, you know, that a lot of our fears are centered around that because how are you Christians out there? How is your vote going to affect me in my private life? And yeah. and if anything, that's a message that I would like to, to kind of bring into this whole approach, you know, going into the churches because if we can not like you said, not affect their beliefs so much, but at least affect maybe when they go to the voting booth if they think, huh, if I vote for this person is it going to affect the way other people are allowed to believe what they want to believe in their own privacy you know, and so maybe just changing not so much their beliefs, but just their mindset of how they appreciate us as atheists and maybe our freedom just in general, you know, all of our freedom.
1: Well, you know, I, that, that discussion was interesting in that it took us a little while to, to, man, there's so much anger on both sides when it comes to legislation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, and, and, The gentleman who was a philosopher made some, you know. I mean, I I I think he kind of misunderstood what we were saying, you know, because we understand that when people go to vote, they're going to vote their conscience, right? Right. And we would, and really, we don't want to have it any other way most of the time. But but I, what people were trying to point out to him was, well, how does your decision affect other people's personal freedoms? And that message was was there, but man, it was not well received,
3: right?
2: Especially by that one. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I think specifically, I think that guy that the philosopher that was there really put a big d- damper on the whole uh, approach that we could have had because just the way he kept, you know, twisting things and, and coming back, it just wasn't very, it, it wasn't, it didn't, wasn't very conclusive con- 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 uh, It wasn't good for um, just the whole discussion. So, no,
1: but he like, was very smart, very intellectual, and he had an agenda, and he was very good at, um, accomplishing that agenda. He, he was there for debate. He was there to let us know what, yeah. you know, that we were wrong and he was going to use, you know, um, philosophy to show us such. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, yeah. I, that was really his approach. And is it, maybe it wasn't necessarily conducive to what you were trying to, um, to accomplish, mm-hmm. but it made it really enjoyable.
3: Yeah, that's true. It's entertaining. Yeah, no, I, I I enjoy debates personally. I really like. I've gotten into a lot of debates with um, with Christians, you know, and we've hashed it out, and I I enjoy that that as well very much. So, yeah, because because it really does crumble. I mean, their philosophy once you're able to pick it apart, it just completely crumbles, and there's there's nothing behind it. <laughs>
1: Well, certainly, I certainly, you know, I would I would definitely go and do it again. Um, it, it was quite I, – I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know. Kimberly, how did you feel about
0: it?
5: I, I thought it was really neat. Um, I really appreciated the opportunity. Um, I'm a little glad to hear you say that, that that philosopher guy might have been more of the problem because I really kind of came away with it a, a little bit bashing myself. You know, like I said, cool. feeling like I couldn't communicate with these people as well as I would like to. Uh, I understand what you're saying about getting your small group and there's a little part of me going, Oh, but I I want to be a part of it, but maybe I'm not the right person. So I definitely would love to try it again. I, I think that there's I think what you're trying to do is really great. Yeah. And I, I, I think it has a, a lot of potential. Um, you know, as I, I said in there, I don't get the opportunity to talk to a lot of people because they're not in my life. You know, I hear yeah. a lot of people talk about having their religious friends. And I'll admit it, I've, over the years, kind of removed all of my religious friends from my life. The only ones I have are are my family. Boy, I can spark a fight there in a quarter of a second that will just have people hanging up the phone. Uh, But they they won't have a discussion about it. So Mm -hmm. I would love to talk about it some more and, and find ways of getting the point across in a way that's not combative, but that also doesn't give up ground or lose yeah. the whole thing. So it's a, it's a real interesting conundrum for me of of how to do that. So I'm kind of hoping to be able to do it again um, if I don't actually participate or at least maybe watch and just kind of get more of those lessons, I think would be really important.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, if you don't mind, Brian, um, I, can I mention my uh, website? You
1: You plug whatever you need to plug, buddy.
3: Yeah, um, so it's into the com, into the com, And, um, there's a way to contact me there, of course. But, yeah, I, I would really like to know of anyone who's interested in being involved in this. Um, you know, there's a lot of different parts to play because, um, you know, contacting the churches, uh, meeting with the pastors, um, there's several meetings that usually happen beforehand before we actually have the, uh, you know the initial contact and anyway so um anyone who wants to be involved i'd, I'd very much be appreciative of of any contact in that way but um
5: well yeah, and definitely. jason i don't know if you know how much um people in the group in the meetup groups and stuff are psyched about this kind of thing i i think you'd have like you asked for only five to seven and you got 11 people mm-hmm. from the from that um because i know i wrote to you personally and said i i didn't get in in time can i still go yeah, and uh yeah. um, you know, I, Brian didn't sign up through the meetup site, and that's you know that's all fine. Yeah, but he knew There's I was coming. There's a lot of people really psyched about this, and I think the only reason you may not have heard more is that they don't know how to get to you. So hopefully this will help that. Um, and if you can figure out a way to give them more notice, I think you'll yeah. you'd very easily be able to assemble that that army of atheists. We really yeah. want to be heard for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think as a community.
1: Yeah. So what, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say we're I, gonna I, do I'm we're gonna do. Website. Oh, go ahead.
5: Well, on my
3: website, I have a schedule. So there's a page that um, that that gives so people can go and look and say, "Oh, okay, maybe I'll be able to go to that one whenever it is." Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah and, that's and, great.
1: Yeah, and don't worry about it. If you're in your cars right now, it will be in the show notes, and we'll also be linking to to your site on our on our kind of friends page. Okay. So yeah,
3: and then um, I had another extra incredibly important point. <laughs> and it slipped my mind. <laughs> well,
1: okay, so but there's one more thing that I, I want to talk about. And of course I met you on the night that we went to go to see Sam Harris. And mm-hmm. Kimberly was there. So so what, what what do what did you think of Sam Harris's uh, approach there?
3: <laughs> um I am intrigued. I really like um I love Sam Harris first of all. And um I was very much intrigued by the discussion of free will because even within, you know, the atheist community there's a lot of, you know, different types of viewpoints and opinions and stuff flying around. But the, you know one of the main things that Sam Harris said that night was was talking about how we don't choose to make the choice to how we think. And and how we how you can take a couple steps back to that initial point of like that thought that popped into my mind. I didn't make the choice for it to be there. You know, when I'm choosing because his example was pick a city, any city, yeah. you know. And you have a certain amount of cities that pop into your head and you choose which one, but that free will choice of which one am I gonna choose. That wasn't your decision. So anyway, I there were so many there's so many good points and, and you know lengthy discussion could be had yeah. on that
1: topic. I, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it and certainly um I, I find it really interesting for for the same reasons you do. I went and I read the book and I didn't feel like I got that much more out of the book than I did his lecture. His his point is very brief and but yet the the way that in which he backs it up is I don't know, I'm having trouble following it. Mm -hmm. completely
3: well yeah yeah. I mean I I think Daniel Dennett I haven't really studied into his philosophy on free will but I I think I might agree a little more with his approach yeah Um, the compatibilist approach a little more compatibilist approach yeah you know Uh,
1: one of the things I it's difficult to um, to accept that you don't I mean we we have this illusion of free will if what he's saying is right it's almost uh, you know I mean we're experiencing it we we feel like we're making these decisions, but yet if we're not, it's it's a difficult thing to accept. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, I, I did too. I um yeah, there's there's the thing about the thing about free will is is that there's there's a difference almost between free will and free choice because even a Christian, if you talk to them about free will and you say, Okay, um, do, am I having the choice to make this choice? Basically, all our choices are what is available to us. The only choices that we can make are based on what is already available to us to choose from. So, in a sense, we have the choice to make a choice based on what's available to us in our brain, you know, um, what's been presented, but we don't necessarily, we don't have any choice whatsoever for what was input to allow us to make those choices in the first place, right? So, it, but um, it
1: starts to seem awfully circular, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah, it it does. And ultimately, obviously, I think everything does boil down to a materialistic answer. Of course, you know, and so you do have to just um, acknowledge that things are as they only could be.
1: But one of the points he made is that if if what he is proposing is correct, that this is a, a bigger problem for Christians than even evolution or or some of these other theories and i wasn't sure how i felt about that
3: no but i i think he's got a good point there though yeah Uh, um yeah i I think that um but he wasn't even just saying it was a bigger problem for them he was saying more like it's going to become more of a divisive issue for them because once they really catch on to this being their pet peeve of, of free will it's going to be a hard thing for people to swallow regardless of whether you're in the religious community or not. You know, when it comes to the idea that I'm not really free to make any choice I want, but I'm limited to the, the to choices that are already in my brain, you know, this this is a hard concept. You know, determinism is a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp a hold of regardless of whether you're religious.
1: Right. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting point. Um, I, certainly, I, I think that the the idea of free will that, um, that Christians present probably doesn't exist. And you, and, and, you know, I don't know who, who's closer to, uh, Dennett or Samuel Harris, but it's a much bigger question, um, than, than I would have ever thought. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, good. Uh, I, we may have lost everybody else. Is anybody else there? No. Oh, no, I'm good. Here. Oh, can we get off
4: I'm sorry. I, I've just been, I've just been quiet and letting you, letting you all jaw.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, Kimberly? I'm sorry I'm talking too much. You know, Brian, there's no, no. Okay. there's a couple other things about Bethel that were extremely oh. intriguing, but yeah, I don't know ahead. how much you want to get into anything else.
1: Um, Go ahead. Um, does well, anybody have a problem with continuing? Not at all. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's I didn't realize that we weren't done with Bethel, and I was trying to make a, a smooth transition because it seemed like a really natural transition there.
3: Oh, no, that's fine. Well, I, you know, you, um, there's just a few other things that, because there's three things that I went for. I went for to to, to expose the glory cloud or to find out about it. I went there for the prophetic um, um, uh, proclamations that they give over people, and then also for the healing ministry. And what I ended up doing after talking to the senior pastors, so I talked to the senior pastors, and I said, I need some documentation. I need something here to show me that there's actually healings going on. And every single one of the senior pastors, they said, I'm sorry, but we just don't have any documentation of anything, of these thousands of miracles. We have yeah. nothing. And they said that the doctors, they, they put all the blame, every single one of them, they put the blame on the doctors who are afraid of lawsuits and stuff to expose that these mm-hmm. healings took place. I am uh,
4: picturing Alec Guinness right now. You don't need to see our documentation. These aren't the (laughs) miracles you're looking for.
3: You can go about your business. It was so sad because... And so then I started going to the people, because I was, I went to these healing services, so I started seeing people who are actually claiming healing. So I decided, okay, well, if the pastors aren't going to give you any documentation, I'm going to go to the people who are getting healed. So I went and interviewed people that were actually claiming healing. One man in the service, he stands up and he's like, Praise Jesus, I've been healed from a tumor. I have a tumor the th- size of my thumb that has completely disappeared 100% in the last uh two minutes and his friend sitting next to him confirmed it. It was in his chest, a tumor, the size of his thumb. Um the whole church just erupts with just praising and just glory and all this stuff. Uh. So I go to him afterwards and I walk up to this guy and I'm like, that's an amazing testimony you got that the tumor just disappeared. Do you mind if I just feel it and see, you know, that it's gone? He's like, oh no, go ahead. So I put my hand on his chest <laughs> And there's a bump, the size of my thumb, right there. Oh wow! <laughs> and and I and I'm just I'm like, okay, um, are you just lying? I mean, what's what's the deal? <laughs> there's a tumor right here on your chest, and he didn't even skip a beat. He was like, oh yeah, but but it's disappearing, and and I know I have <laughs> faith that it's disappearing. And and I'm thinking, you just told thousands of people that it was gone, 100 percent gone. And he was probably talking
4: and, about the other tumor.
3: Oh my <laughs> god. And so even the people that I could personally interview, the people I could walk up to and touch and say, okay, give me your testimony. Every single time this happened, it just went completely flat. Another guy had been healed of cancer instantly. He gave me the name of his, his doctor in his hospital. And so I'm like, awesome. Okay, now I get some proof. So I called up the hospital and they're like, um, we've never heard of that guy.
2: Oh, wow.
3: <laughs> we've never heard of him. And this guy's one of the main leaders at Bethel. They gave him a free SUV just so that you know, so he could be a part of the healing team. And so um there's some definite fraud going on and I don't know if it's just because they're so intellectually blind or if Sounds like chill work to me. yeah, Yeah. If they're purposely doing this. But it's but it's really sad. And and so actually talking to these people, then I went and got prophesied over. I didn't tell anyone I was atheist. I just had a nice smile on my face, acted like all the rest of the Christians, and I got prophesied over by hundreds of people, literally. And every single one of them talked about how God was using me powerfully and how they could feel the anointing all over me and the Spirit of God was just amazing and, and I'm doing wonderful things for Jesus. And it, not one of them had the slightest little inkling that I was a heathen in their midst, you know? And it just so clearly, so clearly exposed just the fraudulent nature of how they just prophesy over everyone and give them all these amazing you know predictions of the future and how God's going to use them powerfully. And here I am standing right there in front of them, and they'd have no idea that I'm a non-believer.
1: Well, it's confirmation yeah. bias. Yeah, and it's incredibly strong. Yeah. They were be- they were biased toward believing you were confirmed.
3: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. 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 I didn't tell them otherwise, and so they're just they're just telling me what God's doing in my life, and I'm just actually one lady after she was done after about 20 minutes of prophesying over me, I I just couldn't resist. I said. I said, um, actually, I don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> I'm not a Christian, and you should have seen the look on her face. She—it was just like, "Oh, what do I do with this guy?" Oh no! <laughs> she was completely shocked after giving me this prophecy. You know, because they would—they take these little drawings and they draw pictures of you and what you're doing for Jesus and all this stuff, and then they give it to you. And afterwards this other guy told him I'm like, no, actually I'm not even a Christian and and he just he just didn't know what to say. He was completely at a loss for so words.
4: Is this like automatic writing what they're doing?
3: Yeah, well they sit you down in front of them and they sit across and they first they hold your hands and they take two both of your hands and theirs and they close their eyes and they do this little pray thing. And then they let go, and they pick up a crayon, and they start drawing a picture. And then they prophesy what this picture means in your life. Okay. So, so this one this guy drew is this big, giant sequoia tree that, with the branches reaching out. And he said it was, it was how established that I am in Jesus, and, and the branches were me with this branches of protection over all the Christians under me.
4: <laughs> Wouldn't it be ironic oh. if that prophecy was actually true, except it's the people that you're <laughs> reaching out to as an atheist?
3: Well, you know, hey, there you go. But obviously, you know, <laughs> I, I see myself as reaching out for sure, but not for the cause that they they're thinking. <laughs> um, yeah. So
4: they do they do automatic writing and they do drawings.
3: Yep, and then they also do what What's they next? call Sozo. Sozo, they do a Sozo Christian session. Ouija boards. Oh, a what it's, it's 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 freaky. I literally had to stop in the middle of the session because they lit. They call it sitting in Daddy's lap session. <laughs> And it's for people who are going through a hard time or a tragedy, like an addiction, and the prophet spends one on one time with you teaching you how to talk to god and um and they charge seventy five dollars for the session which is which is ridiculous because the whole point of Christianity is that you're not supposed to charge for prayer and and right. for healing and all this stuff you
4: know if and- I'm paying seventy five dollars for a session and it involves a lap.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> And
4: I'm a- just yeah. saying, I'm not the one who's going to be sitting in, in somebody else's
3: lap. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really freaky, and um, and but the th- sad thing was is that one of these young men, they walk in for a so-so session because he's just you can see he's he's got he's going through a really hard time, some kind of tragedy, and he didn't have any money. And so they're like, well, um, they forced him to set up a payment plan so that he
2: could go because
4: <laughs> nobody's. Okay, that's just sick.
2: Me. Yeah, sounds so like the kind of stuff we heard with um, Scient- what was it, the Mormons? Oh,
1: no,
4: Scientology. 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 Yeah,
2: Scientology. Yeah. did crap like that. No, the yeah. Mormons.
1: The, the Mormons aren't doing that kind of stuff that I'm yeah. aware of.
2: It was Scientology. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds Scientology.
2: That's messed up.
3: Yeah, it, I can't tell you how many people I saw being wheeled away in wheelchairs, limping off a of stage and out of the healing rooms, obviously not healed. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And but, how, but how many of these people are giving up their their doctors? I mean, are they still all doing regular treatments, or are they, are they telling these people that they don't need them?
3: I think it's a mixed bag. I think it really does depend on the individual, because um, I know for sure there are people who are quitting their treatment, who are, um, you know throwing their pills away. I know that's happening. Um, and like I said, they're taking the blame on themselves. They're not having enough faith. So they got to just keep pressing. They got to keep going to Bethel. Right, you know, they got to keep making this pilgrimage to Mecca, well, you know, because what else are they going to do?
1: No, but are are they
4: hey, now? now the don't issue? bring the don't bring the Muslims into this.
1: Are they having the same <laughs> problems with like children dying and stuff like that? Like that, the followers of faith, uh, followers of faith of Christ Church are having. They're the faith holders from Oregon.
3: Oh yeah. Well, you know, I personally don't know of a whole lot. I mean, I, the only people I know of is personally my own family and my own family, um, my sister um, had a, a really bad problem with her leg where um, the bones were not growing correctly on her, on her foot, and she couldn't walk. And she kept going to Reading, and she kept trying to get healed, and eventually it just got worse and worse and worse until um, they had to give up. And so I've seen this firsthand where you know the problem just gets compoundedly worse because they're not doing the treatment that they should be doing with it. Um, so I, yeah, I've seen this firsthand. Now, I know that a lot of people, even if, like I said, if they go home and their child dies, they're going to chalk that up to, well, that's that was God's will. You know? Well,
1: the followers of faith Christ, that's exactly what they do and and well and Oregon just seems to have a lot of faith healing churches. There's another church in Oregon who just had a death. And the one that they're about to try is the first one that they'll be trying after they've removed the protection for faith healing parents. So, so in Oregon, they're, they're, they are fighting this kind of stuff yeah awesome. Jason,
5: if I can ask you um so you you kind of gave up your faith when you kind of saw things weren't working like they they'd make a claim and then there wouldn't be any evidence, and you kind of just finally got fed up with that is is kind of what I heard you say earlier, but that's yeah. clearly not going on for all these other people like the the lack of you know evidence does not bother mm. them you know they they go like you say you you've got still got this clearly um, testable tumor still in your chest but that doesn't sway them have do you think you have any insights into what is going on in that mentality that mm-hmm. you know despite the evidence it doesn't it doesn't seem to knock their belief even a little bit it, it in fact somehow enforces it
3: right oh yeah because they'll just go back to another experience they had that they did attribute to God, like that one time when they had a headache and it went away after they took some aspirin and prayed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, I mean, even, even my own family, when they, when they talk about, you know, like my sister, she didn't get healed, they'll say, well, you know, it wasn't God's will that time. But remember, remember that other time when such and such was happening and it's, you know, they had a sore back and the, the, you know, and so so when they, something doesn't happen in the moment and isn't fulfilled, they still can retreat to these other experiences that they are chalking up. Because just by virtue of random chance, you're going to have some situation that kind of correlates with a prayer because they're always praying, you know, they get better. It's the the Brasso thing again. If, exactly. it,
4: if his gaze doesn't affect you immediately, it will affect you somehow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So
5: uh, do you have any, like, again, for you, somehow the cumulative effect of this was just like, I, I've got to. I've got a a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. What what do you think is the pushing point to get more people to come up with that, or is there one? I mean, I it it always just intrigues me as to what makes a believer <laughs> and what makes a skeptic. You know, mm-hmm. you're seeing the exact same things that your family did. Your faith was destroyed, and you came out the other side. Theirs yeah. appears to be unshaken. You, you got similar genetics. You got you were raised similarly. What's different? Do you do you yeah. do you think you have any idea?
3: well I, I quite honestly i think that for instance even within the within the christian sphere within christianity there's such a diversity of people and i was always a skeptic to a certain point i even when i was a diehard christian you know when i saw people falling on the floor and laughing their heads off you know i was like mm, that that doesn't sound quite right you know what i mean and so I, I I know for myself there was, but even you know like a many 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 denominations of Christians they have they are very skeptical of these types of churches like Bethel like okay for instance like the church that we went to um, you know that that Kimberly and and Brian you know that we went to in Golden if you were to talk about Bethel to those Christians they would just laugh their heads off. They would say that that was the stupidest thing, that it wasn't God, it was Satan manifesting, and all that. Well, it's so,
1: certainly <laughs> they're a minority. You
4: know, I uh, I brought up the glory clouds to my parents, who were Methodists all their lives, and, yeah. you know, Methodism's pretty pretty mild. But mm-hmm. I brought up the glory clouds to them, and they're like, "What is this?" And then I had to explain this to them because they had never heard of this. And my what I got back was, "I'm sure that's not in the Bible anywhere."
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's um. And, and so there's there's definitely a, a strong like any kind of baptist if you if you meet a baptist they're not going to accept this stuff um if you you know a lot of presbyterian i mean it just depends there's different different denominations so a lot of people are skeptical even within their own christianity but the problem is is they compartmentalize and this is the point that i was trying to make a little bit during the meeting last time we had is that we pick and choose we compartmentalize how we evaluate other claims and other beliefs. And we don't use the same critique and the same rigorous rationality for our own as we use for others.
5: Right.
2: Yeah, that's I think that's, that's
5: really, really true. And I, I hear all the time from people who claim that, that atheists are the exact same way. That, you know, we've got our own set of beliefs and dogmas and stuff that we aren't subjecting to it i think the difference with atheists is is that while yeah we're human we're going to make mistakes like that we're not always going to be 100 percent vigilant but if you're an honest atheist if you will you should be able to own up to that when you screw it exactly. up and say okay i'm gonna have to take that back and and do some work yeah well and yeah. even
1: realizing that you may be compartmentalizing um and 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 evaluating it i is a Christian ever going to say, "Boy, am I compartmentalizing here?" Where, as as myself as a skeptic, that is one thing that I will do.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, because they almost see it as a honorable thing. They see it as a virtue to to have faith or compartmentalize or to put certain things into different categories because you know we don't question God, so right. we can't go there.
1: But and but certainly in Scripture, um, Jesus did heal the sick, right? Yep. So. Why why would he stop?
3: Yeah, the the reasoning with the Baptists and other churches like that is that they say that once the canon of Scripture was collected and, and once we have the Bible in our hands, then all miraculous things, all miraculous manifestations stopped because it was no longer needed. Yeah. So that's their excuse for today why we don't see just miracles everywhere because they say, well, we didn't need it after the Bible was canonized.
1: Yeah, well, ask them who wrote the who put together the first canon. I bet they, so I bet they the can't So the Bible is the last miracle?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
2: That's
4: yeah. All right. (laughs) Yep. Which which Bible? (laughs) Well, well,
3: the Constantine put together.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So King James is not a miracle.
1: No, it's not even the Living
3: Bible is not a miracle. No, No. I would say I I would say that all those are based on the original, which is just ridiculous. I think
1: the NIV is, is a miracle. It's a, it's a miracle anybody uses it.
3: <laughs> uh, it's called. It's it stands for the nearly inspired version.
1: Oh, I love it.
3: It's <laughs> oh, nice.
4: Here, I was going to come up with something about Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well, have we covered everything? Because we're uh, we're at a, an hour twenty here.
3: Yeah, no, uh, there's you know there's a ton of things, but that, yeah. that's the that's the main. Thing. It
1: was a good conversation. Yeah, I, I I'm glad we came back to it. I certainly saw a good jumping off point, and we were at about a half hour, so I wanted to move into the other stuff.
3: Yeah, for sure.
1: So that's great. So well, thank you for joining us, and uh, and of course you're welcome back anytime, and you know sometime maybe come and join us for one of our regular shows. Um, we you yeah. know we're we put together a special uh, interview just for you uh, this time. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're welcome I, to
1: join us anytime.
3: Well, I appreciate it. You guys have been so gracious to invite me on, and I, I really, really appreciate it.
1: No, and like I say, we're, we're gonna, we're, we'll put your, um, uh, and I need to put, um, Eric Mears stuff on there too. We, you know, because I have on, on our page, I have a link to all of our friends and everything. Um, yeah. and I need to make sure that I uh, update that with your, uh, with your address and uh, with. Uh... Thank you again, Jason. Yeah, thanks,
3: Jason. Absolutely, thank you guys you so much soon, for having me. Right. All right. Take care. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website.
1: You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast.
4: Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and Podcast Album Art is provided by, and copyright, Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request.